0: And I don't believe it belittles our relationship with him. Some people may say, well, that's getting too common with Jesus. Jesus is the one who said that. I didn't make that up. Jesus said we're his friends. So we're praying to a friend. We're asking a friend for help. I mean a real friend. Many of us call people friends who are merely acquaintances. Say, how do I know? if somebody's really my friend ask them to help you move you will know whether they're merely your acquaintance or a friend (laughs) Uh. and our Jesus is so amazing I don't know you're still a, a group of people on planet earth that want to go under the law John tells us this. John, the dear friend of Jesus, he said, The law came through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. I would much rather have Jesus be my leader than Moses, as, as wonderful a man as Moses was. Uh, and what Moses had to offer the people was the law. What Jesus has to offer is grace and truth. So as we pause for pray, prayer, I want you to pray to your dear friend Jesus. Pray in your dear friend Jesus' name under his authority, with his approval. Bring your requests before God. If Jesus did it, you know it met his approval. Did Jesus heal people? Yes. Did Jesus deliver people from addictions and pain and and, uh, beat down lives? Absolutely. Did Jesus elevate people all the time? Did Jesus heal the broken heart and set the captive free, proclaim the favorable year of the Lord? Yes, yes, yes. All those things, we are more than, uh, it's more within our, absolutely within our rights to pray. So I'm going to pause. Whatever's on your heart, lift that up to the Lord right now. Dear precious friend, Jesus, that is overwhelming to us that you would call us friends, but we believe you're full of grace and truth, and it's truth that you called us friends. And so we come before you, dear Jesus, on behalf of of ourselves and others, friends and family, Ezekiel you said that you look for somebody to make up the wall to stand at the hedge to pray but you didn't find anyone we say that will not be so in this house today you will find many people here right now standing in the gap making up the hedge blocking the breach in the wall to pray for those who need prayer healing in their bodies salvation of their souls freedom from addictions Strongholds broken off their minds and their emotions. We pray for those who may be struggling and contemplating suicide. And we curse that spirit of suicide in the name of Jesus. It's so rampant in the world today. And we know that's not from you, Jesus, because you came to give us life and life more abundantly. And so we pray for freedom and deliverance and help and hope and healing. We pray Romans over them. May the God of all hope fill them with joy and peace. May they overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Fresh move upon their minds and their hearts. Thank you, thank you. Lord. And Lord, we do not want to neglect our other role. We are servants of the Most High God, but we serve you as dear friends who are happy to do so and love to do so and consider it our honor, our honor. Lord, move, answer our prayers in Jesus' name. anybody remember our dear brother Buddy King? Yes. Buddy King. I was driving home one Wednesday night after church and ran out of gas. I was along the side of the road. And I thought, uh, oh, I got to call somebody to get some help. I thought, do I call Darlene? Are you kidding me? <laughs> absolutely not. No, I, she would have helped me. Absolutely But I thought, I'm going to call Buddy. But seriously, I'm thinking to myself, no one wants this call. No one wants to say, oh, yeah, I wasn't doing anything around except to go help some knucklehead that don't know how to keep gas in his car. And so I called Buddy King and said, you know, would you be able to help me? And he said, absolutely. He said, I would be honored to. And so he came out, and I'm apologizing. I'm so sorry. He said, no, no, I am honored that you thought of me as friend enough to come here and help you along the side of the road. And I thought, wow, I was thinking you'd be like knucklehead. But it gave me an understanding of friendship that there's something about that. Now, if you run out of gas along the edge of the road, we got some elders here to call and some uh, people who can help you. (laughs) Hopefully you have at least one friend who would say, I'm not perturbed that you called me. I'm happy to be here to help you because you consider me a friend. Amen. Well, first of all, thank you everyone who came out uh, Friday night for Richard uh, Varnes and Brenda who were here sharing and the wonderful ministry that went on. Um, it was a wonderful time. Now, Richard ministers, you might notice if you were here, totally different than I do. Okay. And you may say, well, you know, I like Richard's style better. I like your style better or whatever. But you get me all the time. So it was nice to have something different here, and people loved it, and were ministered to, and were ministered to so long that uh, an hour after it was all over, there's probably 20 people still fellowshipping, I said, lock the door, shut out the lights when you're done, you know, have a good night, I don't know how late they were here. So it was a wonderful time, a lot of wonderful ministry went on. Uh, a couple other things I want to talk about, we got an upcoming 50th anniversary on September 24th. We're going to have a, a special service here, just Sunday morning service, but we're going to do some special things in the service. Afterwards, there's going to be food and fun and fellowship and games and all kinds of stuff. And uh, we also, every, everything costs money, so if you want to help, you, you may. You can, uh, if you write checks, you can put a little in the memo line like uh, 50th anniversary. Or if you get online, say, so I'd like to give something towards the expenses of that 50th anniversary. Uh, on our online giving, there's a place that says fund, and you can click on that, and it'll say general o- offering or general budget or something, and special offering. Click special offering, and anything that goes online that says special offering will go towards offset expenses for the 50th anniversary. So we're going to have a great time. I also want to encourage you. Uh, we got a Sunday school class going on, and uh, it is in the Founders Chapel Cafe. Forever, it was called the Old Sanctuary. Then we started calling it the Founder's Chapel. That took me three years to start calling it the Founder's Chapel. Then we called it the cafe. It'll probably take me another five years to ever do that. So I'm I'm merging my way, Founder's Chapel Cafe, over there every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. I found out this morning there's room for 40 more people in there, okay, 40 more people. So uh, first come, first serve, uh, special benefits in heaven for attending the class, all kinds of wonderful things. So that's Sunday morning. It's a great class. Everybody tells me how wonderful it is as uh, Gary presents the Word of God going through the book of Matthew, and so I want to encourage you to participate in that. We don't have a lot of discipleship opportunities at the moment, and that's a wonderful one to come in early and get the Word of God on. Okay? Hmm. Yes. Yes, and thank you very much, because that was supposed to be something I was to announce. There's no class next week. Thank you. After that, they will resume, but no class next week. Thanks for inviting me, Tracy, to a class that won't meet next week. Yes, it won't meet <laughs> next week. That gives you two weeks to get geared up and ready to be there for that class, okay? But no class next Sunday, but it'll resume the following Sunday. So, mm. Father, we thank you for your word. We just know what your word says. It's a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. It's, it's honey to us. It's strength to us. Lord, you you sent your word and healed us. Jesus, you're, you're called the word in John 1.1. 1, 1. You became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld you, the glory of yours, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. And we ask you, Holy Spirit to teach us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I suppose I don't really have to ask this question, but kind of goes with the message. Have you ever had a problem? I know somebody out there going, i never experienced that. Do you currently have a problem? Now, do you have a problem, though, that's a nagging problem that keeps going on and on and on and on? Do you have a problem that keeps going on and on and on and on that could be corrected with a little energy, a little effort, a little favor and help and, and hope from the Holy Spirit could help you conquer that problem? but there may be something in your life and my life that we just allow to go on and on and on. And today I want to challenge us to look at that and say, hey, if there's something in my life that isn't as it should be, and God could help, and he can, he is a helper, he sends Holy Spirit to help us, and you say, I would like to bring this to an end because sometimes you and I have problems that we allow to exist and we tolerate them and sometimes accommodate them, and they just hang around forever. But I think it's time to reverse that. There's a guy in the Bible that knows what it's like to have ongoing problems. He just seem to hang around forever. And his name's Nehemiah. Nehemiah was an Israelite, Hebrew, Jew, whatever you want to call him. He was actually born in captivity in, in Babylon. That was He was actually born as a Jewish person who was in captivity. He must have been really good at what he did because he worked his way up to become the cupbearer for King Artaxerxes, the Persian ruler over that known world at the time. Now being a cupbearer, by the way, is not just like, you know, he served uh, King Artaxerxes sweet tea at lunchtime. It was like a a bodyguard type of position that actually protected the king from any kind of poisoning or tainted food or drink or whatever. So he was the right-hand man of the king would have probably worked in the role of an advisor, bodyguard, all that. So it, he was up close and personal in his life. By the way, sometimes people think that the Bible's like made up of little stories and, you know, something we can learn by. And we can learn by the stories, but they're not made up. These are actually historical events that happened. King Artaxerxes, now you may say, I've never heard of King Artaxerxes. Well, you need to read the book the Nehemiah then. And I know you don't see him on the news but I bet there's, I bet you heard of his dad, and even if you can't think, I don't know, his dad's name was Xerxes, and you may say, I don't think I've heard of that either. Have you seen the old 1960s Spartan movie, or the one they redid a few years ago called The 300? I was using several of those background shots of that. No, it's not. <laughs> I saw that. Who was the guy that starred that? I was getting confused with somebody. It wasn't Gerard Butler, was it? It was the other guy? It was Gerard Butler. Gerard Butler. I saw him interviewed one time, and they said, "Man," said, "You know, l- let us see that six pack." He said, "I ain't got that six pack no more. I'll never have that six pack again." <laughs> he said. He said. And it's funny because guys see that thing. Man, that's that's what I'm going to be like in six weeks. No, he he talked about the energy and effort that it took to gain that and maintain that just for that movie. So that's why I don't worry about having a six pack. And so anyway. Um, <laughs> In that movie, the, the Spartans, uh, an elite fighting group, and also they don't mention this much, so there were 2,000 Greek soldiers as well. But still, that's a very minuscule number that's coming up against the mighty army of Xerxes, the Persian Empire that was coming in. So you've heard of, of Xerxes. That he, that was the real true king that was operation of Persia that was trying to take over Greece, and they pushed them back, which is amazing. Amazing historical thing. And his son is Artaxerxes. And so Nehemiah reigned during that period of time. Well, before King Artaxerxes was a king called Cyrus, Cyrus allowed 50,000 Jewish people to head back to Israel and to Jerusalem. And when Nehemiah comes on the scene, they had been back in Jerusalem for about 90 years. 90 years. But then Nehemiah gets a message from, says a brother, I don't know if it's literally a brother, you know how we say, hey brother around here, or just a dear friend, who told him about the dilemma of Jerusalem, that Jerusalem's walls have fallen down, that the city gates have been burned, the dwellings have not been restored, everything's a mess, it's a disgrace for the city of God, and it broke Nehemiah's heart, and I thought about this, I said, that was... 50,000 people had 90 years, almost a century, to deal with this. But it has just kept going on year after year, decade after decade, soon to become about a century that everything is still rubble, disrepair. No one's gotten with the program. And I think it's kind of time to get with the program. And so I want to echo the sentiment of Nehemiah to me and to you as we gather here today. He was so concerned about the news that he heard. By the way, Uh, the people you might find famous back in the day of Nebuchadnezzar that ended up crushing Jerusalem and Israel. Uh, Remember Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They were were actually Jewish people born in that region that were taken to Babylon, and uh, Nehemiah was just born in Babylonian captivity. So a lot of crazy history going on there. So Nehemiah's heart's broken, he's in tears, he's fasting, he's praying. And I believe this was the word of Nehemiah. This is just me saying this. You won't find this in the scripture. But it is time. It is time. Now is the time. It's time to deal with the stuff that just keeps nagging in our lives. We had a door, uh, a closet door, it just creaked and creaked and creaked. I don't know how long it creaked. It drove me crazy every time it creaked. But you know what? I didn't do anything about it. Then one day I said, I'm going to do something about it. Got some oil and put it on the the little hinges, and guess what? Within 30 seconds, this door that creaked and drove me crazy for a year was now fixed. Why Darlene didn't do it, I don't know. I gave her plenty of time, and then finally I said, I guess i got to take charge here and get this done. <laughs> so just it was funny to think about how 30 seconds cured a problem that bugged me for a year or better. I think that happens to us all the time in life. So it is time, Nehemiah 1, 2 And four says, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them. You just picture Nehemiah, he's picking their brain. He wants to hear about the homeland. I mean, he wasn't raised there, seen the place. So he starts hearing all these stories. He said, I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, Those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down, and what did he do? He wept. For some days, for some days, I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Maybe we've all let some things go on and on and on in our lives because we really don't have a brokenness about the trouble and disgrace that those things are causing and creating. And we don't see the urgency to need to fix them. But I believe God does. Nehemiah, if you read the book of Nehemiah, he's utterly dependent upon God. He doesn't believe really that he's the man, so to speak, but he has the burden. And he prays, and God keeps directing and leading and doing all kinds of wonderful things. I think a good place for us to start is to ask God help us catch your heart, help us have godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. If anything is not as it should be, help us to have some godly sorrow. Say, this is not right. This is not how things should be, and to have a godly sorrow for it. Now, Nehemiah is sitting pretty in life. He's uh, one of the inner circle of the king. Just so you know this, these kings were obscenely wealthy and powerful. I mean, beyond what you and I comprehend. If, If you ever study Solomon, the people who serve Solomon... Their dress code, their wealth blew away other kings, how how they were dressed and attired. So I know this. Nehemiah is eating good. He's not coming into the presence of the king, you know, having slept on the street for five weeks, not bathed for five weeks, not had a haircut or a shave. I bet he's got the best tailor, the best barber, the best hygiene system. I bet he's got all that as he steps into the presence of the king. He has all those things going for him. But what he doesn't have going for him is this nagging feeling in his heart that something's not the way it should be and that needs to change and it needs to change now. And so this godly sorrow moves him to tears, moves him to mourning, moves him to fasting, moves him to prayer, but also moves him to something else, action. It moves him to do something about the situation. And once again, we can always call upon God, help us to have action, to move by the power of the Holy Spirit. So through this series of God-orchestrated events, there's no way other to say God-orchestrated events, Nehemiah gets permission from King Artaxerxes to leave leave his position as cupbearer. King Artaxerxes gives him a military escort through harsh lands to... Jerusalem he also gives him letters of protection so he tells the people basically he's got these decrees from king Artaxerxes if you mess with, with Nehemiah you're messing with me and then he has uh, orders of protection orders of authority uh, king Artaxerxes says you know what I'm going to make you governor over that region why that's smart move so Nehemiah doesn't show him say hey let's do something they go, we don't even know who you are who are you what are you doing here but he, he's now governor over the region because Artaxerxes makes him such. So he comes in with a position of power and influence. And then he gra- grants him supplies to the, the king's lumber so he can get building material, do whatever he needs to do. So just absolute favor, 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 favor. Crazy favor on Nehemiah on every angle. And I believe when you and I say, I'm going to take action, that crazy favor of God begins to come on our lives. That All of a sudden, because there's no way, you know, Nehemiah was going to stand before the king and say, Now, tell you what I want you to do. I want you to do this. I want you to do this. I want you to do this. And I want you to do this. He does say, What can I do for you? And so he lays out the general idea. And then King Artaxerxes says, I'm going to do this for you and this for you and this for you and this for you and this for you. We got a king much better than Artaxerxes. And we say, Man, Lord, I believe you're leading me to do this, he says, Okay, let's do it. Let's make this happen. I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do this for you we got an amazing, amazing God. So, it's time. Favor on every side. The short story is this, that Nehemiah gathers a team. If you read through the book of Nehemiah, you'll notice that anyone who's willing to work gets put to work. Anyone who's willing to work gets put to work. And it's a very interesting story, because their assignment is actually a construction job. We're going to rebuild the walls of a city, which we probably don't think much about this and I won't get into great detail, but obviously a city wall is very important for protection. You know, very important because they, they love to fight. Armies were always going against armies and people against people. I thought we were kind of done with that in the world, but apparently you turn on the news and there's still some country wanting to invade another country. And so, I don't know. I just say, can't we all just live and let live? But anyway, that's a little too simple, I guess. So, they got to rebuild these walls. And when you start reading through it, one thing that struck out to me was they don't say, oh, my goodness, we got, you know, A1 construction on the scene today to help with this. It says, one point says, a ruler and his daughters rebuilt a stretch of the wall. Now, a ruler could have said, well, that's beneath me. I mean, I'm a ruler. I tell people what to do. I don't go out and do it. And there is one group of rulers that says they would not lift their shoulder to the job, to the task. They thought, that's beneath me. I'm not going to do that manual labor. But most of the people got with the program. If you read on, you'll find out that there were merchants rebuilding the wall. There were goldsmiths rebuilding the wall. Levites. What's Levites? Their worship team. The worship team didn't say, no, I want to do is just sing kumbaya and write some songs and... And after all, you know, if I got out there and worked, what would happen if my fingers got hurt? I wouldn't be able to play my instrument. And so, no, the worship team says, I'm, a, I'm in. I'm going for it. And then there were perfume makers. Interesting that that was one of the job professions. They're out there. Where, there were priests. So the priest didn't say, you know, preacher didn't say, well, you know, that's just uh, not what I'm called to do. I'm called just to make sure other people go work. I mean, any work day we've had at this church in the 30-some years I've been here, except maybe one or two where there's a conflict of interest, I'm here working. I'm here. I'm hiding most of the time, but I'm here doing something, you know, doing something because you know what? Nothing should be beneath us. Nothing should be beneath us. It all needs to get done. So anyone who's willing to work got put to work. Now, there's something to be aware of in the process of saying enough is enough now is the time, some things to look out for. But I still want us to say, enough is enough, now is the time. Some of you may have been putting off your relationship with Jesus. Enough is enough, now is the time. Well, brother, how do you know now is the time? Because the Bible says now is the time. It says today is the day of salvation, now is the appointed time. Now, I know a good revivalist and evangelist would tell you, You better make that decision today because you don't know if you have tomorrow. And it might strike a little fear in your heart. That fear is worth noting. It's a fearful, dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, not right with him. And so, all this goodness and kindness that gets poured out upon your life, and you're not here by accident. Well, somebody made me come today. Well, you still came. You're here, you're within the sound of my voice. Today's the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. Do not put it off getting right with God. So here's Nehemiah. He's gathered the rulers and leaders and the movers and shakers of the community. And he begins to talk to him. in Nehemiah 2.18. He says, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. So he's rehearsing the story we just talked about. And they get motivated they get excited and they replied let us start rebuilding so they began this good what work they began this good work well there's the first problem i want you to see when you start rebuilding areas of your life when you start working on projects that you know need to be done i mean this could literally be anything we're going to pray and ask the lord to help us show us what is it could be relationship could be a squeaky door at the house could be whatever But what is it that God wants us to tackle? And the first thing I want you to realize and not let it escape you, it will be work. It'll be work. That four-letter word, work. It will be work. But two verses later, there's this great verse where Nehemiah says, the God of heaven will give us success. The God of heaven will give us success. The God of heaven will give us success. What do you need to do? The God of heaven will give you success. The God of heaven will give you success. Hey, people, the God of heaven will give you success. That's what the word of God says. Nehemiah 2.20, the God of heaven will give you success. Hallelujah. We'll take it, Lord. The second thing that you'll notice as you begin this good work is there always be naysayers. There's always a critic. There's always a pessimist. What I want to challenge us today is: let's make sure we're not our own worst critic. Let's make sure we're not the doubters in the pro, in the process. Other people will doubt it. Well, you can't do that. I don't know who you think you are. You know, you're trying to get above your raisin. You're trying to do this. You're trying. To, now I'm trying to do what God wants me to do with His help. So, no critics, no pessimists, no doubters, no cynics needed. But for For heaven's sake and for your sake, don't you be your own worst doubter. Go ahead and believe the Lord. Then Nehemiah gets sent what I call this unholy trinity. Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, they show up on the project just to cause trouble. I won't ask for a show of your hands. You may say, I don't have three, but I got two like that. Or I got one. Well, there's some things that they do, and I want us to, to look at this because be aware of this. Remember Paul said, I'm not ignorant of Satan's devices, lest he gain an advantage over me? So we can find out, what are the devices? What, what's uh, Heads up, what's going to come against me when I say I'm going to rebuild this wall in my life? I'm going to fix this problem. I'm not going to accommodate it anymore. I'm not going to tolerate it anymore. I'm going to fix this thing with the help of the Lord. The first thing that Sanballat, Tobiah, and Gish, Gisham did was they brought mocking, ridicule, and shame. Those are the first three things. Uh, who do you think you are? I mean, maybe the go- job could get done, but it can't get done by you guys. I don't know what you're thinking. And one time they say, ah, look at that weak wall they're building. If a fox jo- jumped on it. they would fall over. I mean, they're just ridicule. No one likes to be ridiculed. I don't know if you've ever done something for the first time. You've got an audience there who's good at it. And they have no graciousness that they were awful the first time they did it too. But they want to tell you how bad you are. No one likes that. Makes you just want to quit. Like, let's just stop. But no, don't quit. Mocking, ridicule, shame. Shame's a great tool of the devil. Well, who do you think you are? And I know how you used to live, you know. Don't you remember your high school days and your college days? How in the world do you think you can serve God and do this or that? And some of you are saying, man, I only have to go back that far. I'd go back to the drive to church this morning, you know. We got in a fight on the way to church this morning, you know. And so I got to do this or I got to minister or greet at the door. You know, isn't it great if you had a fight on the way to church? You got to be at the door, happy, smiling, faking it, you know, whatever. But you know what? Shake it off. Move on. Don't live in shame. But I will give you some advice, honestly. Fix the problem." They say we're well, we gonna fight every Sunday. Well, stop it. You know, stop it. There are some things you can do to fix that problem, okay? So let's get at it. Say this is not how things ought to be. I'm not gonna tolerate it, not gonna accommodate it. Let's fix it. The second thing were threats of harm. We don't see in the story they were ever attacked, but there's all these little whisperings that they might be. And so they use threats through backdoor channels so that the people were saying, oh, We heard that they're gonna attack us ten different ways. And they got all this anxiety and all this fear and all this worry. Early on, Nehemiah's people were so focused at succeeding at their tasks that they're determined things can't stay this way. They get to work, they get to work, they get to work. And they even strap on weapons. In Nehemiah 4, 16 through 18, it says, From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officer posted themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. They are serious to get it done. If I got to hold a sword in this hand, carry some mortar with this hand, I will. I'm going to do what I have to do. And it says, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked but the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. The trumpet would be sounded if an actual attack happened. So sometimes you got to strap on some armor and say, I, I got a task to do, so if i got to build a little and fight a little and build a little and fight a little, I will. Now, we are not talking fighting people. In this case, it would have been, but actually principalities, powers, and our own selves as we move forward. Now, the third thing was distraction. These guys have another strategy. Nothing's working, so let's distract them. At one point, Sanballat and, and Geshem just keep nagging Nehemiah. Come have a meeting with us. Come have a meeting with us. Come have a meeting with us. I, I think it says that Nehemiah knew from the Lord that they meant them harm. He was just trying to get them away. And so every time, he had the same answer. They sent letters for requesting a meeting over and over and over. And the fifth time the letter came with a messenger with the same request. Nehemiah's on Mission, man. He's working, he's building, he's doing whatever he needs to do. And every time they'd ask him, he'd have this exact same reply. Julie Asher told me, I mentioned this years ago, and it stuck with her, and I'm going to mention it again. Here was his reply. I love his reply, Nehemiah 6.3. And I sent messengers to them. Nehemiah sent messengers to Geshem and to um, Samballot and said this, said, I am doing a great work. I cannot come down. I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. I'm on mission. I got a project to do. He said, why should the work stop? And why should I leave it to come down to you? No, he stayed on mission. He stayed focused. He kept doing what he needed to do. And he did not get distracted. So when the devil says, I want to meet with you, say, I'm so sorry. I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. Yeah. You got your naysayers and pessimists who say, well, you know, I know you're doing this thing, but can we have lunch? Because I really want to talk to you about it. I'm sorry. I can't have lunch with you. I'm doing a great work. I can't come there. You know, I can't come there. Now, if it's somebody who wants to cheer you on and help you out with the thing, go have lunch with them. If somebody just wants to belittle you, ridicule you, you know, mock you, tell you why you can't do it, tell them, hey, I'm sorry, I'm busy. I, I got stuff going on. I cannot come down right now. I'm doing a great work. The fourth thing that comes is lies. The messenger was told to tell them if he wouldn't come, you tell them that we heard that Nehemiah, you're trying to set yourself up as king. And you, we heard that you even have prophets that are getting ready to prophesy that Nehemiah is to be our king. I love what Nehemiah did. He didn't say, well, we need to have a big debate about this. He said, first of all, he said, that is a lie. You know it's a lie, and you made that up in your own head. There was his whole defense. Lie, lie, lie. Not going to waste my time talking about it. You made it up. It was a 20-second reply. He didn't have to spend three months defending himself. He just said it's a lie, which probably goes right into I cannot come down. I'm doing a great work. I don't have time to argue about this. So there'll be lies come your way. There may be something you want to do, and, and I'm talking about stuff that needs to be done. That the power of the Holy Spirit, we may need His help. I'm not talking about. I mean, I have all kinds of wishful thinking. I, I want to grow to six foot eight and and have the skills of Michael Jordan and the and his youth when he was twenty. So you know, I don't feel like that's something I need. To, I really believe in God for this. Now, there's always one person that said God could do that. God could. Do, okay, He could. I mean, I can't say He can't. I mean, if He can speak universes in place, so. But if I'm here next week at the same height, uh, by the way, I don't plan on quitting the job. I'm just going to go play a little basketball in the week and come back on Sundays, okay? So sometimes people have wishful thinking, but I'm talking about real stuff that needs to be dealt with in our lives. And there's always some lie. Well, you're too late. It can't happen now. The devil's so funny because he's just a liar. He's absolutely a liar. That's what the Bible says. We looked at that a few weeks ago. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. When he lies, he's just speaking his native tongue. That's just what he says. And so he'll come to one person and say, you know, that's a really good job and good thought process and I like how you're thinking, but you're you're just, you're too old for that. Oh. Then somebody across the aisle has it that's 30 years younger and he goes over and says, that's a great idea, but you're just, you're really too young for that. It's like, what, are you too old, too young? He just says, I don't want to get done. So he's trying to lie. There'll always be a lie here. But I want to tell you, you're not too late, you're not too old, you're not too young, you're not marked by God for failure, you're not disqualified because of your past, so combat each lie with the word of God. Remember, we let's be a prophet of God's word, let's just speak God's word, speak God's word. You're too old, really? Did you try that same lie on Caleb? When he walked up 80 years old and told Joshua, he said, don't forget that Moses promised me that hill country with all those giants up there. He said, I just want you to know this. I can swing a sword as good as I could when I was 40. My strength hasn't abated. My eyes have not dimmed. Go give me that mountain. Go give me those giants. And Joshua said, you got it, brother. (laughs) You know, so you're not too old. Well, I'm too young. Did you try that lie with, with Samuel when he was a little kid and heard the word of the Lord? It's a lie. Just don't buy the lie. Don't buy into the lie. Just confess the word of God. Prophesy the word of God over your life. Now, there was something that Sanballat, Tobiah, Gisham were not to blame for, although I'm sure they aided in this. And that's our next thing that we got to watch out for. It's called discouragement. See, everything's wonderful when it's just a plan in your head. But then it actually becomes, has to become real life work. And so Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6, and then we'll skip to verse 10. In verse 6 it says, So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. For the people worked with all their heart. There's a lot of energy, a lot of zeal going on, a lot of effort. So the wall's halfway up. A lot of people say that was halfway into the project. And it is kind of, but I don't know that it's a day for a day because it's probably faster moving along down low, I'm thinking, than when you've got to get up 20 feet in the air and start rebuilding the wall. So they're going at it. The wall's halfway up. Most of these walls, seriously, in cities were at least 20 foot tall, so it's no little project. And then verse 10, Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out. And there's so much rubble, we cannot rebuild the wall so Nehemiah gives them pep talk. They get back at it. The project's half done. People are ready to quit, get discouraged, tired. I don't know if you've ever been tired. Just You can be tired emotionally and because of all the stuff that's going around. I mean, it, it's got to be emotionally draining on you to have to do your work with one hand while you carry a weapon in another. It's got to be emotionally draining looking over your shoulder to make sure you're not getting shot with an arrow or something. So they've got all this emotional and physical energy they're giving. But I want to remind you that the God of heaven is going to cause you to succeed. So watch out. Beware. We all got the capacity to get weary, get tired, want to quit. Our energy wanes. It's, let me say it like this. Because I've done this before. Maybe you have. Maybe you're watching some, you're watching Rocky. Okay. So you're saying, you know what? I'm going to get in shape. And so you say, I'm, I'm going to get physically fit. Well, that's all fine. While you're sitting on the couch eating ice cream, man, I'm going I'm to get physically fit. I'm going to go for this thing. Yeah, and so you're, you're eating ice cream, popcorn, your favorite beverage, whatever. And so you're, you're like, oh, man, that's what I'm going to do that. And then you start thinking about, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to run a marathon. That's what I'm going to do. Now, you don't think to yourself, you're 60 pounds overweight and you haven't run since sixth grade, okay? But, but you're going to run a marathon. And so you start thinking about running a marathon. It's kind of exciting. You visualize yourself crossing the finish line side by side with a Kenyan runner you know, breaking across the oh, we're not sure who won. And they're, they're celebrating you and the cameras are there and they're putting the, the you know, the gold medal around your neck and it's so exciting. Man, you're so felt and trim and and shape and all that—it's so exciting as you dip in for another bite of ice cream and you keep eating that. And you say, that's what I'm going to do. You get so excited, you get online, you order three books on how to train for a marathon. Now, you can't train till the books come in, so you keep sitting there and eating ice cream. And then you finally get those, and you look through those, and you map out a plan, you do all this and that. It's so exciting. But then you set your alarm because I'm going to run tomorrow morning for the first time. Not far, just 10 miles. Okay. And so the alarm goes off. And do you know what 99.9% of the people do? Shut it off. I mean, if you're sane, you're going to shut it off. I mean, you, you hit that thing, you say, no. Because why? It's more fun to visualize and think about than actually get out and do it. So we have to move past that and realize it is work. It's going to be work to go to work. I mean, I'm telling you right now, let's say you say, you know, it's, I've, for long enough I've, I've lived in unforgiveness or I've had emotional difficulties or I've, I've, I'm struggling mentally or physically or spiritually or in relationships or whatever. And you say, you know what, enough is enough. Now's the time I'm going to change this. But there'll be a lot of pain in that change. A lot of things you'll have to deal with inside you. And it will become a lot of work. Fighting through the resistance will be work. Rebuilding that wall will be work. Breaking your old habit patterns will be work. Saying no to what's easy and familiar and yes to what's hard and unfamiliar will be work. It will be work. But the God of heaven will give us success. But the God of heaven will give us success. I I just, the but God's in the Bible, but the God of heaven will give us success. So don't get discouraged. Keep at it. Start rebuilding that wall. Just to play out the analogy, honestly, of running a marathon, you, you, you don't start by running a marathon. You don't start by running a half marathon. You don't start by running a 5K. You start by running to the next mailbox if you live in the city. If you're in the country, that could be a long run. You just start somewhere. You also know this that you're not going to get trained in most things in a day or a week or a month. It's going to take some time. And you may think, all I did was I got up and took a jog for 50 yards and came back home. Okay, that's a start. Zechariah 4.10 says, Do not despise these small beginnings. Do not despise these small beginnings. I love the next part of the verse. The Lord rejoices to see the work begin. You decided I'm not going to be stuck in this problem. I'm going to get up 10 minutes early. I'm going to spend a little time in scripture on this particular topic. And maybe I'm going to find a Bible verse and I'm going to memorize it. Now, if you haven't done a lot of memorization in your life, that's actually kind of hard to do. And you'll go to work at it. And the Lord will see you get up, sit down, and open your Bible. And you know what the Bible says? He will rejoice. Can you imagine the God of heaven going, "Woo! Oh, my goodness. They cracked open the Bible. This is awesome. He's rejoicing over you. You're thinking, I haven't even read anything yet. Hey, you got the Bible on your lap and opened it up. It says, the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. If you read the whole story there in Zechariah, they're rebuilding the temple. And the only thing that's happened at this point is Zerubbabel has gone over and grabbed the plumb line. It's all he's done. He hasn't hung it yet. He hasn't used it yet. And as soon as he grabs that plumb line, the Lord rejoices because the work has begun. You know, that preacher, Robert Shuler, and motivational speaker was really right. Getting started is half done. Getting maybe 90% done. Getting started is half done. We just need to get started. Get started. Now follow me here. The walls of Jerusalem were smashed about 140 years before Nehemiah showed up on the scene. Somewhere about 90 years before Nehemiah showed up, 50,000 people were back in that area. And there was little... To no progress more stress on no progress there is little to no progress on these walls the city gate the dwellings inside the city nothing nehemiah gets a burden from the lord it is time so it ticks in his heart it is time now is the time enough is enough how long will we endure this He's broken about the damage and the distress and the dishonor of the city. He rallies a team, just regular folks, who are willing to work and get at the project. And they fight through ridicule, they fight through threats, they fight through distractions, they fight through lies, they fight through discouragement, they fight through the rubble everywhere, laying all over the place, and they work at rebuilding this wall. And, drum roll please, They rebuilt the wall in 52 days. That blows me. A wall that's been beat down for 140 years. 50,000 people have been back there for 90 years. And nothing's done until somebody says, enough is enough. Now is the time. This is it. I'm sick of this. I'm not putting up with it for another day. I'm not going to keep living like this. Anything in my life that's not as it should be is not going to keep being as it shouldn't be. It's going to turn into what it should be. And I'm not going to let anything stop me. And in 52 days, what 50,000 people didn't get done in 90 years is done. Can you imagine that? Done. I'm telling you, you'd be shocked how different your life could be in two months. From right now. You want to get healthier physically? I can probably, two months will make a radical change in your life. You want to grow spiritually? Two months of being focused will cause a radical change in your spiritual life. You want to rebuild relationships? Now, the weird thing about relationships is there are two people involved in this thing. I get that. But it'll be amazing what could happen in two months. You say, I've been harboring unforgiveness for 40 years. You'd be shocked where you can be in two months. Absolutely shocked. Man, I've been struggling with mental or emotional issues. Hey, I, I'm not belittling that. I'm just saying you'd be shocked how much things could change in two months if you got focused on it. You know, I know people. We used to have a program here called Cleansing Streams. And over the years, I saw people who it was going to be work and it was going to be hard and they would say no and probably the last time he did cleansing stream about 15 years ago maybe, I'm telling you, the people who said, I won't do the hard work, are still stuck 15 years later. 15 years later. I'm telling you, in 52 days, their life could have turned around if they would have said, you know what, I'm going to do the hard work of allowing God to move on our lives. So, here's what we can do. First of all, Ask God which wall to rebuild first. I'm sorry to tell you this, but if you're like me, you've got more than one wall that needs some work on. And if you buzz around on five different walls, you probably won't make any progress. So ask the Lord, what wall needs to be rebuilt first? What do I need to rebuild? Holy Spirit, help me, give me wisdom, and help me to get to work on it. The second thing I want to encourage you is embrace and use godly sorrow to move you to action. If you say, I really don't have any godly sorrow, just ask the Lord for it. Then say, hey, I need godly sorrow because I know this. There's things in my life that are not as they should be. There's things in my life I'm tolerating. There's things in my life I'm accommodating, and I need to stop that. But my goodness, I need your godly sorrow, for godly sorrow moves us to repentance. Repentance means I'm going to think differently about this. I'm going to think about this like you think about a God. And I will tell you this, if you're heading this way and it's the wrong way and this is not the way God thinks about it, and you stop and say, give me some godly sorrow that I can repent. Repent means I'm going to think about it differently. I'm going to see things differently. I'm going to see things from your vantage point. It will change your direction. It will change your direction towards God's direction. The third thing, strap on the armor and the weapons of God in advance. We want to advance against Victoriously against the weapons and enemies of ridicule, shame, threats, distractions, lies, and discouragement. So the, the weapons of our Lord found in Ephesians chapter 6 will help us keep advancing against all of that. And then the fourth thing, don't quit. The God of heaven will give you success. The God of heaven will give you success. I've shared this before. Uh, it's just a simple little thing, and that was Sean and I and his little guy. We, we were going to read through the Bible together, and we got the read through the Bible plan in a year, and I felt like we probably won't do it in a year, but I noticed that our tendency is to start, get six weeks in, realize there's so many chapters behind, you give up, and then you try next year or five years later. So we just said, you know what, we're going to keep reading till we're done don't quit it took us two and a half years and I mean somebody can mock that or ridicule at that but we got it done we made it all the way through Genesis to Revelation in two and a half years now we could have started and quit and started and quit and started and quit and 15 years later say you know we really should have read through the Bible but just don't quit Martha Burris has done that she's not quitting she's, she started in the Bible how long ago Just a few months ago. And in the last few months, she's made it to Genesis chapter 3. She is like, really? But she's not quitting. No, uh, she's well well into it. Just keep on moving. Keep on moving. Keep on moving. Don't quit. The God of heaven will give you success. That would be a good verse for you to memorize. It's pretty simple to memorize. It's Nehemiah 2.20. The God of heaven will give us success. God of heaven will give us success. I want to quit. Nope, God of heaven is going to give me success. I'm discouraged. Don't matter. God of heaven is going to give us success. I want us to pray together. Put these things into practice this week. I'll guarantee you from biblical truth, you'll be shocked how much your life can be different in 52 days. If they can rebuild walls that have been down for 140 years, you can rebuild certain areas of your life in 52 days or less. And some things, which is just flat, rebellious disobedience, you can rebuild in 52 seconds by just saying, hold it. I just need to stop and start doing the word of God. So, Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is rich and satisfying. We love it. We thank you for it. And we ask, Lord God, may these truths, I know we're not rebuilding a physical wall, but we got stuff that needs to rebuild. May these truths from your word, really resonate and take root in us and may we put them into practice because you say that when we don't just hear the word but we do the word that we'll be blessed in all of our deeds and so lord we declare right now we're going to be blessed in all of our deeds as we hear and do your word now as we're praying i just want to ask is there anybody here today who would say tracy you're right today's the day of salvation now's the appointed time i do not know jesus as my savior And I would like to know him as my Savior. Would you lift your hand up? I want to pray for you. Is there anybody here today saying, I don't know Jesus as my Savior, but I want to know him? Get it up there high quickly. If there's anybody here that doesn't know Christ, today's your day. Anyone at all? Is there anyone who would say, hey, Tracy, I'm confident I'm a Christian, but I'm just making a fresh commitment to Jesus today. I mean, I kind of feel like, thank you, I see a hand. Uh, Who else? Just saying, hey. I, I, it's a new day. It's a new day. Amen, amen. New day, new start. Enough's enough. Gonna, gonna get all in. Anybody else before I pray? Saying, hey, say a prayer for me. New day. Thank you. Anybody else? Hmm. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for those who raise their hands. They know you as Savior. They're just saying, hey. They're just asking for some fresh wind, a fresh fire on their lives as they move forward in new ways. Lord, strengthen them. May they not be discouraged. May they not be shamed. May they not believe the lies. May they just know this, the God of heaven will give me success. I bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In a moment, we're going to close in with a, a scripture verse. Two things. One, if you're here for the very first time, if you'll go out in the foyer, there's a couple tables out there. There'll be somebody out there to greet you. And if you want to go up to him to say, "Hey, this is my first time being here," we got a gift we want to give you to say thank you for being here. If you gave your life to Jesus today for the first time, maybe you're shy or something, didn't raise your hand, but you said, "Lord Jesus, I'm yours." Go out and tell them that, and they'll give you a new Bible to help you grow and walk with God. Okay? Well, let's stand to our feet. We're going to declare this out loud together. At the end of every service, there are people up here to pray for you. So if you're here today and you need prayer, don't leave this place without getting prayer, okay? There'll be guys and gals up here to pray for you, whatever the topic is, all right? Are we all ready to say this out loud enthusiastically together? Let's do it. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Amen. Go in the blessing of the Lord.